0: your know, well, yeah, that's that happens a lot of times is the stuff you're talking about beforehand ends up being really good i know we should like
1: just record right away
0: right so many podcasts I, that's one of the things i tell guys to run podcasts just start recording just right away and just if say hey we already started recording if there's anything you want me to edit out later just let me know
1: makes total sense yeah, yeah
0: so much good stuff at the beginning
1: yeah all right so i'm gonna just go ahead and start it welcome everyone to lose fat build muscle podcast today we have paul carter He's a super jack dude um, and super nice guy as well. Um, the reason I wanted to, uh, to have him on the podcast is because he posts a lot about self-help, personal development, and about training and nutrition, which is kind of odd because most people that are in fitness and on Instagram, they mostly post about fitness and nutrition stuff. But I really, really like your post about you know personal stuff, like how to improve your relationships, how to improve yourself. So. I wanted to have you on the podcast and well, the fact that you said yes, confirms my bias and you're a really, really nice guy. So welcome to the podcast, man. How you doing?
0: Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'll, I do. I try to do everybody's podcast. If they want me on. I'll do it.
1: That's awesome, man. Um, so I just, I really want to get to know you a little bit more. Um, I don't know uh, how long have you been into fitness. I want to know, like, I'm curious to know how you got into fitness in the first place.
0: Uh, i told that story like so many times. Um, <laughs> I was 14 years old and uh, my parents had split. My best friend had just gotten killed. Uh, I I was in a really rough place in my life. I was living in this like this one bedroom, two bedroom apartment with like my mom and my two sisters. And one of my sisters was like a thousand months pregnant. And uh, I had played music for a lot of years. I pawned my drum set. I bought a Greyhound bus ticket. It was a four day ride from North Mississippi all the way to Oregon. And I had gotten in contact with a guy out there who was a martial arts instructor. And I went out there and I was gonna spend the summer out there and he got me into lifting. And uh, I was 98 pounds, I was like 14, I was like 98 pounds. And uh, it was about three weeks that we had been training, three weeks, maybe four weeks. And I remember I was kind of like roughhousing with his mom in the kitchen, she was like playing around. And I remember I I flexed my arm. And I saw, like, I saw my bicep, and I don't know, like, if you remember being like a kid, being on like the playground, there was all. The, do you remember, like, there were always some kids that was like more jacked than the other kids, right? Like naturally, you know, I wasn't that kid, and I was always athletic, but there were there were certain kids that were more muscular, and I was, you know, you wanted to look like that, you wanted to have that, right? That was kind of like that pecking order thing, and so I remember I flexed my arm, and like my bicep just pow just popped up. I was like, "Wow, holy crap!" And at that point, up to that point, I really hated getting up every day to go lift because I was so sore. I was, I was so unbelievably sore. Like the second, first day that we lifted, we did, um, we did chest for an hour in the morning, and then we did, uh, we took a, a lunch break and did back for an hour. And the next day, when I woke up, I was literally like paralyzed, like I couldn't move. I was so freaking sore, and um, and I I hated the lifting. Just because I was so sore, we were doing martial arts for six to eight hours in the afternoon. So I was getting beat up on top of being the most sore you'd ever been. So, but yes, yeah, like three weeks in, I flexed my arm. I saw my muscle. I knew like right then I was like, I'll, I'll do this whole lifting weights thing forever. Because I, like I like how that looks and feels. And that was just true. And I was 14 and I'll be 45 uh, in January. So you're talking 31 years now wow
1: that's that's uh, longer than what i've been alive for
0: <laughs> right and, and you know it's funny i run across guys all the time you know they'll still just approach me and be like man like you know how long you know how long did it take you to you know to look like that or build as much muscle i'm like 30 years <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah exactly so uh it's funny that you i mean I, i'm surprised that you remember your first workout because i have no idea what my first workout was i it's not in my head. So, I mean, that's, that's uh, shows that you really, you were really shocked by that work I and mean, you really sort of, uh, like you said, <coughs> cool, man. So you've been lifting for 30 years. Um, so when do you think you've made the most progress in your lifting careers?
0: Um, well, I mean, like anybody else, the, the most amount of progress I made was early on um, the, the first probably eight to 10 years of lifting. I did a lot of things right. I get a lot of, I get that question asked a lot of, if you go back and you can do anything different. And the truth is, and it sounds arrogant because most people usually they'll say, well, I would do all these things different. And I made a lot of mistakes. I really didn't early on. And I'm really thankful for that because I went from 98 pounds. Like I said, I was 98 pounds when I started four years later when I was 18 years old, I was 220. So I didn't really, when I, I look at the things that I did early on, they are um, still really sound principles to this day. I didn't do a lot of stupid shit. I didn't change routines a whole lot. Um, I basically narrowed down. There were about I was a huge one. I think I had a, in a, a good a couple of good mentors. Um, some that most of them didn't know they were my mentor, but I was such a huge Dorian Yates fan. Okay. To me, one of the reasons why I like Dorian so much was that, number one, I, I loved how he looked. He had that look of being strong, that, that powerful look. But Dorian had a methodology, and when I would read his stuff, it just made sense to me. It's like, okay, this guy, he's training with a specific purpose. And so I, I basically started looking into a lot of his stuff and Mike Minster stuff and Arthur Jones' stuff. And especially the early work by Arthur Jones and Mike Mincher, those programs and stuff, they were really um, solid in terms of modality. And uh, then Dorian kind of ad- adapted that later uh, to fit it to his own particular training style, of personality, and things he thought maybe could be done better. And so I didn't I didn't have a lot of I had a kind of a, a philosophy, a set of principles early on that I really gravitated to. And I didn't really I didn't I didn't I, didn't, I see so many guys these days. They're confused. They are. They. They have basically paralysis by analysis. They're all over the place in terms of they don't know what to do. I didn't really have that, but I also think the internet's a big part of that now too because people get out and they read a thousand different things instead of just going to the gym and applying a a, a set of principles um, that are intertwined into a program over the course of six months or eight months. So my biggest progress was made early on and it was really simple. I've written. It's so funny. I wrote the eight. A 12 8 principle that's just a double progressive overload principle is like that was one of the things I did probably the first eight years, 10 years of my training was I would just pick a weight I could do for eight reps maximum. Couldn't do a ninth rep. And I would just stay with that weight until I could do 12. When I could do 12 reps, I would up the weight and just repeat that. And I did that literally. That's all I did. And people will say, well, how did you gain so much mass? Like just progressive overload and eating. And so many people on the, we have so many complicated training systems these days, and I don't know why, I really don't, like all of these different variables and like how much, you know, like for example, how much volume you can tolerate, you can't tolerate, a mesocycle needs to look like this and this like that. It's really simple. To me, it's really simple. You should constantly be trying to break new rep PRs, um, rotate exercises when you get burned or hit a plateau for too long, evaluate where you're at every six to eight weeks to see if you need to deload or even potentially like a lot of guys don't know this as to detrain a little bit, um, because you can get to where you're just not as responsive to the training stimulus anymore. So, but just the basic fine movements that fit your structure, uh, execute them really well to to load the muscle tissue that you're trying to train, start loading at that point, you know, progressive overload, and then every six, eight weeks, evaluate where you're at and what your goals are, and either take a break or, you know, change out some exercises or whatever. But that's really it. You just repeat that over the course of decades.
1: It sounds it sounds so simple when you put it that way, and you're completely right. It's so easy to get. <laughs> yeah, it should be simple, but it's so easy to to like you said to go online and just find a thousand articles that say like different stuff and end up not doing anything because you don't know which who to follow. And I actually have never heard. I think I heard once about the A Twelve A principle. Did did you invent that?
0: I, I like I didn't invent it. I just I wrote about it. I'm just it's not like something that I invented. I don't feel like. Um, but it just blew up. I literally, I just gave it to T Nation. I was like, but it was more along the lines of me just trying to help guys give them a really simple process of focusing on rep PRs, right? I'm like, hey, just pick a weight, hip or eight, and you stay after it until you can get it for twelve, and then you increase your loading. And it's like guys are like, wow, it's mind boggling. I'm like, no, it's really not. <laughs> so like, I figured that out at fucking 15 years old. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, so, if someone, if someone like right, right now is listening and, and wants to give that a try, um, wants to use the twelve-eight, 8 8, 12, eight principle, like how how can that person structure like a really simple training program that works for them?
0: I mean, really, apply apply. I applied it across the board to everything I was doing, and so like my training for years and years was so super simple, and I would train. I was training like four days a week. I'd have to go back and. Finish. What my splits were at the time, but I had uh, forever. I had I had a tra- I had training logs. So I, I literally had notebooks and notebooks for years of all the training I did. So I logged every training session I ever did, and I think it's another area where most guys these days they don't log their their training. They I mean that's that was to me a huge part. When I found out about dog crap training um, years later. Um, Dante was big on that it was like logging your workouts and I'm like, yeah, I've been doing that for like decades, you know, at least at, at that time being more than a decade because I thought it was important to be able to look back over your training and get an idea of like what was working, what wasn't working. You could say how many weeks you were using this program till you started to stall a plateau, kind of what things you were seeing that you were getting progress out of and then what wasn't working for you trying to pull all that out of memory. Like, does good. And you need to make notes about the training session. You know, this was a good one. This is a bad one. Was your sleep good? Was your nutrition on point? All of that stuff gets you so much feedback. But as you're pertaining to your question, um, I applied just the simple double progressive overload to everything that I did. So I had a select number of movements, so like back workouts forever. I can I can remember this, where um, like a dumbbell pullover, uh, a supinated grip pull down, and a T-bar or a barbell row. That was it. Okay. Whole back workout, and then so it was one set of each exercise. So it was three sets for back, which isn't a lot different than how I train now. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, like legs would be like uh leg extensions, and then leg press, hack squat, and then like leg curl and stiff like deadlifts. So it was like, and it was like one set of each. Like chest so it was like incline press, and um, trying to think, incline press, maybe like a dumbbell bench maybe or in dumbbell incline incline dumbbell press. Incline dumbbell press forever. I chased that guy. hundred pounds, uh, I was telling this story yesterday to one of my training partners. When I was I was chasing, I was stuck at uh 10 reps with the hundred pounders on the incline dumbbell when I was like sixteen, seventeen. It was like ten reps. I couldn't get past ten reps forever and ever and ever. And then I got sick well uh, with some kind of stomach virus. And um I was thrown up for like three days and I was like, I was just I was so distraught because so I was like, I'm going to lose all my gains. And I was out of the gym for 10 days. And on the 11th day, I went back in, and I remember I was warming up on an incline dumbbell. And I was like, wow, it did turn by, somebody turn off gravity? And I was knocking out the hundreds for like 17.
1: Holy like, shit. I
0: stuck on the hundreds for months and months and months and 10. I could never get past that, that 10th rep. And then I took 10 days off. I come back in and just destroyed it. And what that told me was at the time of these little lessons you learned was that um, I was still training either too often or too much or too hard or something. There was, I had accumulated enough fatigue that it was masking my performance. So that's another reason I had this talk uh, with John Meadows a lot. John tries to take off 10 plus days, a few times a year. And he says, it's just the same thing I do. It's like every time that he does that, he comes back and whatever weights he was using before just, he just blows past him.
1: That's that's crazy, and and the funny the funny thing about what you said is that I've had similar experiences where I get sick and I just come back to the gym after like five six days later, and everything feels like gravity shifted.
0: Yep, so. Every, everything feels great, and that happens because this tell guys, if you're that was when I posted that on my Instagram, I think last week was like one of the things to do if you hit a plateau and been stuck for a while, just take some time off. But nobody, but few, not nobody, few people want to do that. They don't understand the benefits there. So um, yeah,
1: just take some time off, take 10 days off. What, what kind of benefits can someone get from taking 10 days off like once a year?
0: Well, it depends on if you've been training uh, for a while and there's, you've accumulated a lot of nervous system fatigue, then generally what happens in those particular cases is like you, when you're training, you have, you accumulate two different types of fatigue, Uh, You accumulate peripheral fatigue, sometimes also known as muscle damage, and then you accumulate nervous system fatigue. So when you have central fatigue like that or systemic fatigue, there's there's a multitude of basically different ways to phrase that. But what it comes back to is that your nervous system is not going to fire the the motor neurons to, to the high threshold motor units. It's not going to fire those as efficiently as when you're rested so what happens is it gets suppressed um and your body's like hey i'm tired um and because i'm tired i'm not going to basically activate all those high threshold motor units which activate all of your uh of your muscle fibers especially your fast-twitch muscle fibers and when you take a rest you allow your nervous system to recover and when you allow your nervous system to recover can, you can come back and then your body's like yeah i'm ready to go um and then your nervous system does a better job of firing those high threshold motor units so that way you activate more muscle fibers and you end up being you, you, you perform better
1: that, that's that's pretty awesome and what, what are some signs that someone might need uh to take some time off the gym like what what are some some ways that someone can recognize that
0: well if you if you've been feeling um just run down if you don't have any enthusiasm to train or if you've been stuck, um, you haven't hit any new rep PRs for a while. There's a multitude of ways if you... One, that's not really... Like, I look for signs like, well, you you don't get a good pump, right? You you aren't getting a good pump in the gym. You're not hitting any new uh, rep PRs. Um, Your enthusiasm's down. So a lot of it's kind of what I'd call like emotional feelings. Some of it's physiological, like the whole, you can't get a pump and that kind of stuff. But some of it's just emotional where you're like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this exercise, Um, that kind of stuff. I'll also say other things like you're not probably usually not sleeping well. Maybe your appetite's not very good. Uh, You're grouchy. Um, So there might be a multitude of things, symptoms that you have related to that. And some people call that overtraining. And I think it's more just being, you're just systemically tired. It, 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 you would see the same signs if you were working, say, 55 hours a week at a high stress job.
1: Makes, makes a ton of sense, man. Cool, man. Um, I mean, I love your approach to training. simple and effective. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, you know, personal development and self-help because you post a lot about that on Instagram. Is there any particular reason why why you make those posts or I don't know?
0: And it's just something that I have a, a high degree of personal uh, interest in. I don't, to me, it's like going out and lifting weights and doing a diet, all that kind of stuff, it seems kind of pointless if you're not also not spending time working on the internals. And, you know, I mean, <clears throat> that, what is it, that one, one uh, tweet or whatever that went viral and the says something like you can eat all the kale and drink all the mineral water, but if you're not working on the stuff that's on the inside, you're still unhealthy. So, yeah, I, you know, the thing is, is that that's just a huge level of interest uh, for me and what really gives life um its meaning its deep sense of meaning ultimately by especially by the time that we we get older is the relationships that we have and that we cultivate with people um and i always i try to call that you know everybody has develops their own tribe and one of the things that you find is that life is far more enriching enriching and fulfilling based usually based on a few a few principles one of them is that you? You need to cultivate and develop your own personal and unique sense of meaning. Um, that you know you're here for a particular reason. What that reason is? What What is giving your life deep meaning each day? So there's usually some type of mission that we all find that gives our life some deep sense of meaning. That you wake up every day, and you're excited to do this, you're excited to do that. Um, Sometimes it benefits us monetarily and sometimes it doesn't. Um, it doesn't have to. And then the second part of that is finding your community that shares in those particular beliefs or that deep sense of meaning. And then you share with each other and that's your tribe um, about um, this, whatever it is that gives you meaning. And <clears throat> I've talked about this before with a lot of what I call diet, dietary zealotry, where you'll find like keto people. Um, They'll gravitate towards each other and they'll have like these other keto people that they talk to and follow and hang out with. And that's essentially the same. So they have found something and for whatever reason diets do that for a lot of people. Like I'm not like that. Like I just, to me, a dieting diet is like, I don't, I could never find like this deep meaning in doing a particular kind of diet, but there are people that find deep meaning in all sorts of things. I'm not detracting from that. I'm saying that for dieting, it's, that's not it for me, but, but for instance, it's an example like keto people will find uh, they love keto dieting. They lose weight of keto dieting. They love making keto recipes. You know, a keto lifestyle. They'll follow keto blogs or keto articles, and then they find other people who like keto just as much as they do. And so, for whatever reason, something like keto, is like that, has given their life a certain amount of meaning, right? And so, then they, in order to enrich and deepen that meaning, they find other people share in that with uh, people some people do that with for example politics politics is a big one is that they will they they strong have a strong identification factor with say a, a political affiliation and then so they follow lots of people who share that same field they go out and argue with rival tribes um and that's what we've seen all throughout humanity so a huge part for me, like the personal development part, when you look at that, is how are you developing yourself, and how what kind of tribe are you cultivating in your life? And basically, one of my favorite studies is the it was done by Harvard. It's called the Grant Study, and it looked at what actually gives life meaning. and It's the the, the it was a longitudinal study, and it's the longest study that's ever been been done. It was over 75 years. And they were able to look over 75 years, narrowed down to the fact that happiness and fulfillment in our life comes from having deeply connected, loving relationships. Like you can't get away from that. So in order to have deep, uh, connected, loving, fulfilling relationships, we have to do the work ourselves to become the absolute best version of who we can be. So if you want to have a more fulfilling, meaningful life, one of the first things you have to to do is take a step back and look at your own bullshit, examine it, and decide whether or not it's um, productive to hold on to it or what parts of yourself that you realize are toxic, negative, and that you don't want to have anymore, and do the work in shedding those and kind uh, kind of getting a new skin that you're going to wear, so are kind of a new armor, you know. So I kind of think of like a, a like a, your the version of your toxic self is more like a cracked, warped armor that you wear that's not really made for you and meant for you. And a huge part of post- personal development is shedding that and finding your own unique, um, individualized armor that you're going to wear that fits you well, uh, that helps you deal with daily battles uh, in your life, that helps you cultivate better relationships um, and a, a deeper sense of meaning and purpose in this life.
1: Dude, th- that was awesome. And I have so many, so many questions right now that I want to ask it. I need to organize my thoughts a little bit. Um, okay. <laughs> so, so we talked about having a mission in life that makes you want to wake up in the morning. We also talked about joining a tribe or a community. And we talked, you talked a little bit about how to create, uh, meaningful relationships. So, what if, like, how can what, what advice can you give someone that feels that he has no reason to wake up? Like, he hates or she hates the job that they're at. Um, they feel stuck. They need to keep working because they need to keep on paying the bills, and they, they don't know what to do. Like, what advice would you give that person? How can they find meaning in life?
0: Well, you know, it's when somebody finds himself in a really dark place like that, and I've I've had that in my life at times. And that's another reason why this is such an important topic to me is I've, I've gone through a couple of major depressions where I, I didn't want to wake up each day. And in those times, you know, you can, you can say, you know, all of the, give all of the self-help guru that you want to, it, it generally doesn't, it doesn't penetrate a lot of times, right? Like I went through those and I just put, you just put life on autopilot for a while. That's what I during those times is I just put life on autopilot for a while. And then, but what I really think during those times is you got to figure out what is it, what's the bullshit that you're really sick of. But when you're in a depression like that, you don't really have the energy to do anything except autopilot. Everybody who hangs in there long enough, um, for the most part, they will eventually, when they come out of it, it can be the work they're doing while they're in it. Um, so I, I, I did a lot of work to come out of, of my own individual depression. What what kind of work do you do? Well, you know I've, I found a lot of books um, that that I would get up and that I would read. Um, you know I found a good church home. Um, I really made an effort to connect to my spiritual life. That was that was a big part of it for me. All of those things really helped me come out of that. But I also I made a concerted effort to to help cultivate that tribe too. And that's a, that's a problem a lot of people do is when they're depressed, they isolate because they feel like nobody else wants to, a lot of times what they're feeling is nobody else wants to deal with my problems. Nobody else wants me to burden them. And that's just not true. And I you mean, think about it, like if a friend comes to you and is like, man, I'm struggling, I really need an ear, you're more than happy to open up and say, dude, I'm here for you, talk to you, right? So one of the things that we, that's misappropriated within our own internal dialogue is that we're like, nobody wants to deal with my stuff. But the truth is, if you just make an effort, reach out, and say, listen, I am hurting. I'm struggling each day. I need a friend. I need an ear. I need something. If you've got friends in your life, even casual friends, and you, you reach out to them like that, I promise you, like 99% of the time, they'll say, I'm here, dude, talk to me. And I think we as men, especially, women are better at that. I think that men are, and I think that's why the suicide rate with men is so through the roof and so high is because we tend to isolate ourselves and feel like if we reach out, we're weak, um, that we're pathetic, that um, we should be able to handle this on our own, because the world has told us that for a long time, right? Like, that's one of the things, like, I'm huge on uh, masculinity, but one of the ways that I, what's something I don't feel is masculine is, like, uh, I think we should all be able to express and feel, like what we feel we should be able to express and articulate those emotions in a healthy and meaningful way to sit back and say, I'm going to shove this shit down. That's exactly how guys end up in those incredibly dark places where they don't feel like they can get up and go on another day because they don't know how to express the things that they're feeling. And that if they do, they're seen as weak, but that's just not the case. That's just not the case. We all go through those valleys, those deep dark valleys where we feel like we're disconnected from everything and everyone out there. We don't know how we're going to come out the other side. And a lot of times the reason that we feel that way is because we do feel like we're going to be a burden to someone else or we feel like that it's a weak, um, that we're weak for feeling that way or doing that. It's just we need to do a better job as men of helping other men understand that's just not the case. It's just not the case that we all go through that, that we all feel that. Um, It's been a a nice um, revelation over the last few years. There's been a lot of what I consider what's usually modeled out as very strong men has come forward about their own depressions that they've gone through. Uh, Dwayne Johnson's talked about it. Michael Phelps has talked about it. A multitude of guys have talked about going through depression um, and how they got through it and coming out the other side. I, one of my good friends told me he was struggling a few months ago, not because he was struggling, but because a friend of his um, had committed suicide. And, you know, we talked about that thing. He's like, he should have just, if he would have just talked to me and, you know, I've had lots of, of my friends that have ended up killing themselves, and we feel that right. We're like, man, just open up, open up, and you know, express whatever it is. You know, and however much you need me, I'm here. But we have to we have to uh, help other men understand we're available. Hey, I'm available to you emotionally. Just come to me and talk to me. Whatever you need to help get through this, like whatever I can do, I'll do it. And but we have to also understand as men that it's okay to go to another you know, a brother in our tribe and say, man, I'm hurting right now, I'm struggling. And I just need an ear, I need somebody that I can find identification with that might have gone through this. And I always say that one of the strongest resonating points that we can have as human beings is identification through similar struggles, through loss. And so when somebody comes to you and whatever it is, we've all gone through different struggles, we've all suffered different things. But when somebody comes to you and says, I have suffered this kind of loss or I've had this particular kind of struggle. If you have any type of identification with that, you immediately connect with that person, right? You're like, I know what you're feeling, man. I know those feelings. You know, talk to me about what you're going through. And for the other, just feel like they're not completely and utterly alone through that is a huge strengthening part of coming out of those dark valleys.
1: Good, that's great. Great advice. Love it. Um the second the second question I wanted to ask you is about how to what do you think it takes to cultivate meaningful relationships?
0: Well, one of the things, gosh, that's like, that's a super loaded question. And a lot of people will give a million different answers for that.
1: It's the first thing that comes to mind.
0: The first thing is, like I said, that you need to cultivate a good relationship with yourself. How do you do that? Well, <laughs> I think the first step is stepping back and identifying as I talked before, before is identifying what parts of your own um, behavior, Do you are you going to be introspective enough about to say, okay, he, this, this particular problem that keeps occurring in my life, that's me. That's not everybody else. That's me, right? So you have to be cognizant about what it is you keep doing to cause these particular situations to continue recurring in your life. It's like the guy who says every woman he finds is crazy, or the, the woman who, who says every man she finds cheats. Well, I'm like, okay. And they say, well, every woman's crazy and every man's a cheater. I'm like, no, you just keep finding those particular kinds of people. And the only common denominator here is you. So there's something in that person that needs something affirmed to them that they believe. Okay. Mm-hmm. You can't get away from that. That is a, one of the things that uh, I learned about in my own personal development was something called attachment theory. It's very it's a long deep conversation, but all of us learn about love relationships, intimacy, trust, all those kind of things to our caregivers, all of us. Okay. And that gets basically creates the framework for which we end up living our life out of and how we view the world and how we view ourselves. So everything comes back, how you how you have developed relationships comes back to how you view yourself and how you view, view the world. Okay. So if you want to end up cultivating better relationships, you need to understand, you need to be honest and open about the own bull, your own bullshit that you're bringing to the table, what you do want your life to look like and what you don't want it to look like. And then if that bullshit that you're bringing to the table is affecting those factors negative. So you keep ending up with this shit you say you don't want, but if you keep ending up with it, you do want it in some way. There's something in those situations that are affirming to you either what you believe about yourself or you believe about the world. If you think the world's not trustworthy, you'll continue finding people who are not very trustworthy people, right? If you believe that you're a pretty decent person and that the world has decent people in it, guess what? You're probably in a pretty pretty healthy place. You'll find people that are trustworthy, good, dependable people, and then people who aren't that you'll be really turned off by. Makes sense. If don't, if you feel like the world is better than you and you're not good enough, okay, then you will consistently seek out the need for people to validate that you're good too. And all of that, basically, that's the overarching kind of look, look at different attachment types. So if you're not a secure attachment type, secure attachment types tend to have pretty good relationships. Uh, they tend to be able, they, they tend to feel like they're trustworthy people, that the world's Relatively has is full of trustworthy people and good people, and anything that doesn't kind of jive with that with you, you'll just be turned off by. So it kind of starts, like I said, upfront with owning your own bullshit. Understanding if you've got a, a cyclical pattern of finding certain situations, you got to understand what is it you need to do to change that pattern.
1: And I, I want to ask you about something, is because you know a lot of people like. They just wake up and function like an automatic most of the time they just wake up they look at their phones they don't think about anything or reflect they eat they go to work and they go back come back home and they do the same thing so what kind of exercises do you do to to find out the stuff we're talking about to find out bullshit to find out uh, what you bring bringing to the table and to find out your own toxic behaviors I guess
0: well One of the things I think that it's important to do is is actually to have a ritual right Um, to wake up each day. But your rituals have to involve self-reflection. They have to involve times of gratitude. Uh, And then, I mean, the other part is, especially when you have relationships with other people, and I, i beat on this particular horse a lot, is the need to make an effort to make them feel heard and understood. So. For example, and I get this with guys a lot, and this is a good story. So many months ago, I had a a, a friend come to me, and he was really struggling with his girl, and he was telling me about the situation, and that they would get into an argument, and she was super emotional, and that she would storm out of the room, and that he would just wait around, like hours at a time for her just to come out. And so she didn't feel very loved or cared about or whatever. And I said, well, how many times have you ever just walked into the other room to connect with her after she stormed out, he's like, "Well, never." I'm like, "Why?" He's like, "Well, I always, I always let her, you know, like give her her space or whatever." But the truth was that she, she was she was storming out of the room because she already wasn't feeling like she was heard or understood or cared about the relationship. So, what the reason why she was running off is because she wanted him to just come in there and make her feel cared about. A lot of people, one of the things that I, I get really annoyed about when you talk to an average person about these particular topics is they'll say. Well, I'm not going to go chase after that person. They just need to be an adult. Look, something I talked about earlier, we learn about love, relationships, trust, all those kind of things from our caregiver. And if you go through psychology and look at that, that's what's called your inner child. So we all grow up and we have this inner child, right? So it's a little, little kid in us who learned about love, intimacy, and relationships and all those kind of things. And no matter what, you can't ever get rid of that. That's always going to be in there. So we all have certain wounds that we carry through the rest of our life and we manage those wounds differently. Some of them come out in very negative coping mechanisms and then other people spend a certain amount of time understanding those particular coping mechanisms and can develop where that they have more healthy, positive coping mechanisms, with that stuff. So I told him, I was like, why don't you actually just walk into the other room when she gets like that and make an effort to actually hear what she's saying instead of trying to apply logic. Men are the fucking worst about this. Is there, if they somebody's upset with them as you throw a lot of logic and facts and stuff like that, not a court of law. When you're dealing with relationships, you're not in a court of law. Okay. You, the best thing you can do is try to understand the perception of the other person. When somebody if you're arguing with a person and you come to me and I go, Oh dude, I'm sorry. Like I didn't, I totally understand what you're saying now. As soon as I say those words, what do you feel? Like, okay, like calm, right? But if I go, oh, man, like you're so, that's so wrong. That's not what happened, blah, blah, blah. Now you feel defensive immediately, right? But if somebody's making an effort to just simply understand your perception and your viewpoint, like you feel respected, you feel heard, you feel cared about, all the things that we need in those relationships. One of the things I think most of us do a piss poor job of is actually just sitting down and really hearing the person across from us and making an effort to understand where they're working from internally about the situation. The more often we try to throw in logic and facts and an emotionally laid conversation, the, the more it tends to spiral out of control because the other person, what they're really saying is, I just want you to acknowledge that I have feelings about this topic. But we tend to do a piss poor job of that because we, we you can't change how the other person feels in that moment. The only way you can change how they feel is to make them feel like they're heard, to make them feel like you're making an effort to understand them, and then they'll feel actually loved and cared about. But that's on us.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, I'm, I'm just thinking about personal experience, and I, I, I you're completely right. I tend to use more logic in those cases, and
0: well, you're a man, we're as, as men. When we're in those situations and somebody's upset us, especially if a woman's upset, like we, we get hurt. We don't want her to feel upset. So what we try to do is use logic and facts and stuff like that and reason her out of her feelings. Women don't want that in those moments. In those moments, what she really wants is to, for her to feel like you're making an effort to connect with her. Yeah. Any guys that end up watching this, like if they're wondering why they're struggling, it's more often than not. It's because when your girl's upset at you, You're just not making her feel understood. She just wants to feel heard and understood and like you care about her feelings. She doesn't want a bunch of facts and fucking logic thrown at her.
1: (laughs) Makes sense, man. So you mentioned uh, that you had a a morning routine, uh, where you practice gratitude, where you reflect. Could you like tell us a little bit about that routine? How, How does it look like?
0: Yeah. One of the things like get up in the morning and for years I've had something called like, uh, quiet time and it's pretty common with a lot of people. And so you get up in the morning and you just spend some time like just for me it's making my coffee and then sitting down and journaling um at least two or three times a week making a gratitude list things that, I'm, that I have gratitude for um and then reading. So before you open up your phone or before you open up your laptop or any of that kind of stuff it's at least 5 minutes out where you just read something out of a book that you're in or something like that. But you just I feel like it's important for people before they start today to have that 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever that you just have to yourself before you decide that you're going to plug in for the day. So you plug into yourself, put your own oxygen mask on for a little while and then get ready and then you can go to work. But if you're taking no time to recharge and invest in you and where you're at emotionally and mentally, eventually you'll get burned out.
1: Yeah. And that's what happens to a lot of people They don't take the time to work on themselves when you're completely right. Um, <clears throat> this is great man. One, last, one last question I want to ask, um, what's your tribe? What's your community?
0: Um, I have a, like a select few people, um, in what I consider my tribe that I can, that I go to and that I can go to uh, all the time about anything. I can just pick up my phone and say, Hey, <clears throat> hey I need to talk for a while or uh, people I can say like, Hey, I need to meet. Like I have a couple of guys that I train with now and they're kind of like my training um, tribe. And I haven't had training partners for the most part about 30 years of my training, but I've enjoyed having a couple of guys to train with. We've been training together for a few months. I have guys that I've cultivated longstanding friendships with over the some for a decade or longer um, that it's select, and then you know sometimes you have guys you know come in and out of your tribe um, that that don't fit your tribe. Uh, on, honorary principles. Uh, I had somebody I had to throw out of my tribe in the last couple of months um, because uh, he just wasn't mature enough to uh, respect the friendship. And but I've got guys that have been in my tribe uh, for a long time. Most of the time we we share very similar. Uh, I think like I said, what it comes back to is finding guys that you have some a good set. Of, of moral beliefs, some, some positive virtues that you all share in, and then you help build on those with one another, and you keep each other accountable to that.
1: Okay. And is there, because I know we talked about, like, people identify themselves with, for example, the keto people, and identify with other keto people. Um, is there anything in particular that you look for, or maybe like an activity, or is it just like you connect with, the per- like with the other guy, with the other person?
0: Well, I mean, one of the things yeah that we all have in common is that we all lift weights. So
1: makes sense. <laughs> a lot of
0: there's a lot of guys that lift weights that are more than just meatheads, right? I mean, there's a lot of meatheads out there. There's a lot of really, really dumb, a lot of dumb dudes that lift weights. A hundred, yeah, lots of dumb dudes that lift weights. But um, there's a lot of dumb dudes that don't lift weights. <laughs> so um, the, the thing that I think that brought us together clearly was the fact that we're all interested in that and. Um, then you tend, I tend to sort people out naturally, like most people do based on other factors that, um, other value that we tend to have. And that's another part about life is that everybody has a set of values and then you have metrics that are applied to those values. So you have a value system in your life and then you have metrics. So each value gets kind of a certain degree of importance to it, right? Like, um, you might really value that the kitchen or that the, uh, the dishwasher be loaded a certain way, right? Like that might be really important to you because you're OCD and anal retentive. So you're dating a girl and she just throws the shit in there, right? In any particular order. And then you're like, wow, what are you doing? Well, that rubs that her low value system of dishes in the dishwasher a certain way rubs up against your high value system. Of this, this has been a disruption a certain way, and that's how conflict arises. So, I think generally in our tribe, we want the least amount of conflict happening. So, what we do tend to do is we tend to find people who have a similar value system that we do and have a similar metrics to those values. So, if we tend to value family, you know, like that's really high up there, or, you know, or that we tend to value. See, we tend to see romantic relationships a certain way, similar way. Like um, you know, I, I tend to not have friends like. Like, if a, a guy's, like, big on, like, porn, like, for example, I'm pretty anti-porn, so if a guy's big on porn, like, generally, we're going to butt heads on that issue. Um, other things, like, whether it's, a, you know, it's abortion or how you value life or how you value relationships, relationships you have with your family, all of those particular moral issues and social issues, we tend to align our tribe with those that assign similar metric points and similar, similar value systems.
1: Dude, that, that's great. And, and I just want to ask you about an example of, of some of your values because I personally don't think about that too much and I find it really interesting. So if you could just give an example of like what your values are so that if someone's listening like doesn't connect or doesn't know exactly what you mean, they can, you know, put it on paper.
0: Yeah, I mean, number one, like my spiritual life uh, is very important. Some people call that religious. I don't really, I, I don't like religion. And some people say, oh, well, that means, no, I actually go to church. Uh, but most of my spiritual mentors have been pretty anti-religion. They're very pro-spiritual. Those are very two very different things. Uh, but my spiritual life is very important. Um, and then my relationship with my kids, like that's very important. Um, like right now, where I'm at, like my romantic life is kind of on the, it's on the back burner just because of where I am with other things. Uh, work's important. I want to be really, really good at what I do from a training and nutrition uh, standpoint and like just continuing further education there. Uh, but then people who just value um, friendships, family, you know, kind of the general things from, if you get into like a social moral value system, I, the only real topic that I tend to get heated, pretty, pretty heated about is abortion. Um, and I'm very pro-life. Um, so like, that's one of the few, and it's funny because if you actually go out and say, yes, I'm pro-life and very anti-abortion, like, people are like, wow, I can't believe you're vocal about that because it's like it's only okay to be vocal if you're, like, pro-choice. And it's like as soon as you say, hey, I'm actually I'm pro-life and I'm not okay with abortion, people like think you're courageous. I'm like, no, I've always pretty much been, you know, transparent about how I feel. And I think that's another part of, of being authentically who you are is not really giving a shit. Uh, Mark Manson wrote, uh, he said, if you want to actually be – a um a beacon of you know like of a particular value system for one set of people then you have to be willing to understand that you're going to look like a total buffoon to another set of people like you know what i mean like there's no way like you can actually like take a stand on any type for the most part most like a, a set of moral ground and have this one group of people who go, yes, you're awesome, we love you, without having a whole other group of people saying, wow, you're total dipshit. So you just have to accept that. You have to say, okay, authentically, this is what I believe and I'm gonna stand by it and I'm I'm very staunch in those beliefs and I really don't care if other people don't like me.
1: Yeah, yeah, you can't please everyone and you gotta be polarizing about your beliefs for sure. That's great, man. Um, So I really wanna be respectful of your time. I know we we were scheduled for an hour. Going over that, so I want to f- finish it off with a couple rapid fire questions. If that's cool with you, um, what book would you recommend everyone to read? Um,
0: one of my favorite books is by Max Lucado and it's Traveling Light. What's uh, that again? Max Lucado, mm hmm. It's called Traveling Light, okay. And that's one of my favorite books. Um, it, it's a spiritual based book, but it's really about helping you understand how to get rid of the burdens that you carry around and how to walk with what you consider a lighter um, emotional load understand what it is like that you should be caring about what you shouldn't be caring about um and just to not let worry rule your life um to not let worry become your master uh what okay. is the is john Gottman's books and the nine principles for marriage like that's an amazing book john gottman is the man like when it comes to relationship stuff he's like the michael jordan relationship he can predict divorce up to like 97 wow. uh efficiency so He's like the man when it comes to relationships and his writing is everything that he does is just unbelievably superlative. So those are two books I think everybody should get and read. Uh, those are two really good ones. A good relationship book. What the other ones are what I consider a very good um, self-development book.
1: Okay. If you could send one text message to every person in the world, what would it say?
0: Wow. That's a good question, dude.
1: Uh, if I could send... Um, send me a dollar (laughs) (laughs) here's my bank account love it okay (laughs) you'd be a billionaire (laughs) i love it man (laughs) all right um what's your favorite exercise
0: wow that changes probably um right now um like a, a a properly done lat row. We have, um, I'm running out of, of reps and weight on the machine at the gym. Uh, but uh, that's probably my favorite movement right now. Pretty much everything that I do. I'm pretty good at this point now after 30 years of picking movements that are really good for my structure, for my goals and executing them well.
1: Um, and let, me, let me rephrase the question. If you had to pick one exercise you do for the rest of your life, which would it be?
0: I don't know. I'd probably give up training if just don't it. it was just like one, it's like, okay, here's one movement. Probably be like a clean and press. Like from the floor, like picking it up and cleaning and pressing over And where you had to do that. Now, I would never do that now because I hate that. And I did that for years and years and years. But it's like, as far as like, if you just wanted one movement that hit everything, um, yeah, just like a clean and press. Right, not a push press because I can't stand those guys that do push <laughs> and they want to call that a press. No, it's, it's, it seems it's essentially like a form of cheating. I'm talking about like a strict press, so you clean and strict press the way. What's, what,
1: what's your one remax strict press? That's it. What's your one remax strict press
0: for a strict press? Mm-hmm. 385. 385, right? Holy
1: shit, really?
0: Yeah, wow. Yeah, you can go out to my YouTube when I used to video. You can find my the the my three sixty five, um, and it was like about a few weeks. I was gonna wait at that time. I was gonna wait till I did four hundred five and um, get a video of that and kind of blow people away. And I did three eighty five a couple weeks after I did the three sixty five, and I never I never took the four hundred five, so I didn't end up getting a video. So I had that. If you can go out, you can see I ended up doing a double with three sixty five essentially because. The guy grabs the bar, and I had it, and I, I like go off on him, on the video, it's on the video, and then I come back and I do it again. That's, so,
1: a, that's incredible, man. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, I was, uh my overhead pressing was my strongest. Uh, I had like elite, world-class level overhead pressing strength um, when, I was at my, when I was, I tore my pec a few years after that, and I've just never gotten back to that, but when I was at my strongest, yeah, I did uh, a 385 press behind the neck, um i had 315 for six six or seven i can't remember on that one but i know i did 275
1: for 13 and 225 for 23 dude that, that's i'm baffled and uh, now i gotta ask like what's what what's your one rep max squat that look from bench i just want to know uh,
0: um my one rep max squat best i ever did was 660 that was without a belt or knee wraps um so there's like nothing just my shorts. I pulled seven twenty-five from a deficit, um, but I had other lifts. Like my best bench was, I did a close grip four eighty-five, and then I did a four seventy-five incline.
1: Wow, that's incredible, man. That's awesome. <laughs> so, right. you know, what's
0: funny is, like, at that time when I was competing in powerlifting, um, I, I never, I never was able to put it all together on the platform. and get my best lifts on the platform. Um, that was a very frustrating thing for me. And at the time was I, I, ne- I didn't think I was very strong because I was competing against the best in the world. And now that I look back and I'm so many years removed from that, I'm like, dude, I was, I was strong as fuck. Like that's. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That was incredible. Man. Like,
0: like I have other lifts that I'm actually far more proud of. Like I did a stiff leg deadlift with six Oh five for five from a four inch deficit. Wow. Like per like completely strict. Um, and like just some other random lifts. Like I did the hundred pound dumbbells and overhead press for like I don't know, it was like twenty seven reps or some shit. Like <laughs> overhead. So like I had a lot of lifts that were just like really good, but like aren't like shit like and that so my strongest years like wasn't for the Instagram. like wasn't putting them up on Instagram. I might have like a million followers.
1: <laughs> Bro, you need to find those those lifts and put it.
0: I wasn't Larry Wheels, but I had I had some good strong lifts and I was I was uh, I was close to I wanted to hit i wanted to squat 700 pull 750 and bench 500 in powerlifting and then retire so i was i was decently close um to those lifts so basically when i decided to retire from powerlifting and then i literally what's crazy is i uh, tore my pec i maybe like a year later like doing dips of all things
1: wow okay
0: which was really weird
1: yeah dude yeah. that that's that's amazing strength incredible um so the next question I have for you is, uh, what's been your favorite purchase on the $100 in the past year?
0: My favorite purchase on $100 in the past year. You know, dude, like I don't buy a lot of stuff. I was talking with Ben Bruno. Do you know who Ben Bruno is? No. Ben Bruno, he trains a lot of uh, uh, celebrities and shit. We were talking about this yesterday. He just got to deal with Nike. And he's like, he was the same way. he's like, he doesn't buy a lot of stuff, but he always loves shoes. I started laughing because the only thing I like is like t shirts and sweatpants. Yeah. I probably my favorite $100 selection, I bought The Rock, I bought his new sweatpants. <laughs> and bucks. I remember it was like, uh, wow, these, and they came into their most, they're the nicest sweatpants I've ever worn in my life. Like there, it's like, a, like the material's really thick and it's just a really nice, yeah. So yeah, some $70 sweatpants.
1: <laughs> nice sweatpants, awesome. Um, so last question I want to ask you, why is your uh, name on Zoom Salsa Dancer? Is what? Salsa Dancer.
0: You know, that's, wow. Okay, so i never changed it. Uh, <laughs> so a couple of years ago, uh, when I was, uh, when I, this girl I dated for like three years, uh, we had gone out salsa dancing and had like, we had like this just really funny and amazing story. And I used to do zoom calls with her cause we did some business together and I just changed my name to salsa dancer. <laughs> really hilarious story. We got, we got a little bit drunk. We weren't quite drunk, but we were pretty lit before we went salsa dancing and we just ended up having a really fun night. Um, being like half lit salsa dancing. It was just- <laughs> for of course, at the time. So it was, uh, we had a lot of laughs from it. So anytime we do Zoom calls together, um, I, my name was Salsa Dancer. And I've just, I haven't changed. I, didn't even, I rarely use Zoom. So when I do, it's still there. Um, so it's, it's funny that you noticed because nobody else has even noticed up to this
1: point. <laughs> That's awesome, man. All right. Um, so if someone wants to reach out to you, maybe for coaching or to send you a message, where can they find you, man?
0: Yeah, pretty much Instagram turned my website for the most part, I'm going to get a website done after probably after the first of the year. But if you, if you Google lift, run, bang, or really just Paul Carter and bodybuilding or powerlifting or anything like that, you'll find me. But um, yeah, if they, if you want to find me on Instagram, it's lift run bang, or like my emails, Paul at lift dash run dash bang.com.
1: Awesome. I'll put those in the description as well. So in case someone wants to find you put the website, your Instagram and your email. Cool, man. Anything else that you want to say before we finish it up?
0: No, man. Thanks for having me on though. I'd love to I need to get down to where you're living. Get some of that warm weather and shopping and and uh and some yeah, some Latin dancing going on. Dude. Last, Dominican Republic. Yeah, I can I can dance. Like most people wouldn't think of me, no could dance. <laughs> I went Latin Latin dancing with uh with some people down there and the girl that I was Latin dancing with, she was like, You were like she was like blown away. So <laughs> come down there for some dancing and shopping and some drinks and uh fun times on the beach.
1: dude Come over. This place is awesome, and it has the best I've weather.
0: Heard, I've heard. I've heard. It's awesome. How did you? How did you end up there?
1: So I uh, you. I lived in San Francisco for a year, and uh, you know the weather in SF is kind of cold and chilly, and not very. I mean, I'm I'm from Venezuela, so I'm used to tropical weather. So I was pretty miserable with the weather over there. I used to like Google pictures of Playa del Carmen like every day. I was like, I need to move to this place. I need to move to this place. And you know, like, like a year went by and it didn't. And one day I woke up and I was like, I don't like this place. I'm just gonna, I bought a ticket, I came and I've been here since. It was just like that. So one thing about not
0: having kids and not having ties <laughs> to anything, man, you can just say, you know what? I don't like my life, I'm gonna change it.
1: Yeah, exactly. You can just make a decision and, and do it. That's- so, yeah, I've been here for a year. It's awesome, man. Um, so, yeah, if you ever come by, just let me know what you're planning and I'll, I'll take you around. I'll show you places and I'll tell sh- you the I, best salsa dancing places, I you man. Up on that. Yeah, for sure, man. All right. Oh, one last thing. Let's take a picture to, for Instagram. Um, let me just do like a full screen. There you go. All right, man dude. Thank you so much for the time. This was awesome. I love the chat that we had about, about self-help relationships, improving yourself. Uh, didn't expect to go that route, but I was really curious about, about your thoughts on that, man. Uh, Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Really appreciate the time, man. And hopefully we'll talk again soon. And maybe I'll see you here in Playa sometime soon. I, I would like that. All right, man. Thank you so much. Take care, but
0: yes, have a good day.
1: You too. Bye bye.